You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Thank you, Gina. Well, first of all, I do, first of all, I'm Jacqueline Marici. I have the great opportunity and privilege of serving here in the coastal LA region. And um, I love the sisters here, love this region. I mean, I love the brothers too, but you know, they're not here. So, um, and uh, you know, it's just a great honor and a privilege to work with the Coastal LA staff and all of you alongside of all of you as we try to win as many for Christ. I do want to um, thank uh, the worship team, the tech team, um, all the staff women for all that they have done to make tonight happen. And uh, these guys get here early. I thought I was early. I got here at 6 o'clock, but, you know, they were here before I was here. So, um, all right, all right, good. I got a big old clock right there. All right. Um, so I do want to read a couple of scriptures. I mean, I'm sorry, a couple of the lyrics. We will get to cut some scriptures tonight. But first we're going to read some lyrics to this song. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. Just think about these words. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. The overwhelming never-ending, reckless love of God. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of our God. Oh, <laughs> this is funny. Uh, my daughter-in-law is FaceTiming me right now. It's probably an accident. <laughs> I should actually turn it on, shouldn't I? Yeah. Hi, Aaron. I am preaching right now. <laughs> Hi, Cadence Marici. I have to go. No one is preaching. Pop Pop's at home. I'll call you later, okay? I'll see you in the morning. Love you, bye. bye. I bet she never does that again. All right, anyway. <laughs> All right. It is such a great reminder. These lyrics remind me so much about God's reckless, reckless love. Thank you, I was going to ask for that. You are too on it. All right, so I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know how you came in here tonight, but there are two things I want you to leave with. Because, you know, some of us had a good week, some of us had a bad week, some of us have had, like, the best week of our lives, others of us going... Oh, it's already, I can't wait till 2019 already. Um, I don't know where you're at. But there's two things I want you to leave with tonight. I want you to leave here tonight. Tonight's lesson is very simple. It's very, very simple. But I want you to leave here tonight amazed and in awe and speechless over God's overwhelming, never-ending love for you you personally the second thing i want you to leave with is i want you to leave here when you walk out these doors convinced 
I want you to be convinced that you can never outsend God's love. You can never use up his mercy, and you can never outlive his grace because his grace is sufficient. So we're going to have two segments tonight. Each segment, we're going to have some speaking, and then we're going to interview some women from the Colsa LA staff so you can get to know them a little bit better. And then each segment um, also will have a time of self-reflection and of um, prayer. So let's get started. All right. So like I said, I hope tonight that you came in at least intellectually knowing because we can intellectually know stuff, right, without feeling it, especially those of us who have been around a long time. It's like, well, I know God loves me, but I don't feel it. I know God hears me, but I don't feel like he's listening to me, right? Especially when we don't get the answers we want. But I hope you came in here knowing and feeling as though God has called you and that you are his, that you are his precious, precious daughter. That no matter what you have done, where you're at right now, that you are not used up. God is not done with you. And you are enough. God has not forgotten about you. And you are his. And he, God and Jesus, they desperately love you. And long for a deep, meaningful relationship with you. You know, throughout scriptures, as we chose Jesus, as we choose Jesus, as we become disciples and are clothed in Christ, God describes us as entering into his family, that we are his adopted daughters, his adopted children, that we are in a spiritual marriage with Jesus as our groom, and we are his bride. Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 in the message version. It says, long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind. He had you in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Christ Jesus. What pleasure he took in planning this. So from the beginning of time, from the very beginning... God had you in mind. God has had you in mind before you were even knitted in your mother's womb. To be a daughter of God is something that transcends time. It means to belong to the one who always pursues, always protects, always prepares, always praises our inherent worth. The word of God teaches us that the experience of being brought into his adopted family into God's family. That experience of daughtership is to always be loved and cared for and attended to and esteemed. Not for what I do, but for what he is. It's not for what we do or who we are. It's because of whose we are. Quite simply, we are his. You know, the Bible is full of scriptures filled with scriptures that, and stories and every which way God could tell us how much he loves us and show us. We are only going to scratch the tiny, tiny, tiny surface tonight. I want to encourage you, if you have Bible Gateway or some other Bible app or some other Bible software, to just go through and as a quiet time, look up, uh, actually it's going to take several quiet times, but you can at least uh, get a list of all the scriptures that God 
speaks about his love for us, how much he adores us, how much he longs to be in a relationship with us, it would be a great, great reminder. Because, you know, this world can beat us up a little bit. I don't know about you. Um, you know, but sometimes I don't feel it. I know it, but I don't feel it. So listen to these. These are just a few. Our names are engraved on the palms of God's hands. Psalm 49:16. God the time determined the time set for us and the exact places where we should live. All for the purpose of chasing us down so that we would possibly choose him. So God the way I look at it is you know, he schemed. He like he he had a, a private agenda. You know, I thought I was going to this Bible talk when I was meant to steal the nanny. You've heard me share that before. But God, and God knew I had to go there to steal this, for something like to steal the nanny. So he set that whole thing up. That's what that scripture means to me. He knows every hair on our heads. God knew us as we were being knitted in our mother's wombs. God takes the lonely and puts them in homes and families. God's very own hand formed you. We will never be forgotten by God. Isaiah 49, 15. God chose us. He holds us. He keeps a firm grip on us. God delights in you. He sings over you. Zephaniah. And in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, it says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. So we can't even really understand it. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We can't even understand or even really grasp how much God loves us. I think the closest I can get to is maybe how much I love my children and how much I love that little grandbaby. Maybe I could come that close. But then when I think about God's love and I think, would I ever be willing to sacrifice my child for somebody? I just don't, I mean, honestly, I don't think I could do it. I don't care how much I love you. I don't care how much I like you. I don't, I don't think I could even sacrifice my child for my own mother. Yet that's what God did. Not only that, he chose to do it because he had you in mind. You. If you were the only person on the face of the earth, he still would have sent Jesus to die for you. Like, we've got to let that soak in a little bit. Ezekiel paints, for me, an incredible picture of God's tenderness towards us. How he woos us, pursues us, and cares for us. Let's look at Ezekiel 16. It says, On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with the water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion on you to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by, and I saw you kicking about in your blood, and you lay there in your blood, and I said, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew, 
and developed and entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later, I passed by. And when I looked at you and I saw you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointment on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals on your on a fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and necklace around your neck and I put a ring on your nose, earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil and the finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Lord. You know, we see here that God speaks of him watching us, waiting for us to be ready for his love. And as he passes by, he gives us his solemn oath, and we become his. He washes us clean of the filth and the shame of the world. He sees that we are vulnerable and fragile, so he covers our nakedness with costly garments as he clothes us in Christ. And it's as if God tells us over and over again, a hundred million times, in a hundred million ways, he tries to tell us and convince us and remind us of his overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love for us. It reminds me a little bit of this. You is kind, you is smart, you is important. You is smart, you is kind, you is important. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I need you to remember everything I told you, okay? Okay. You remember what I told you? You were kind. You were smart. You were important. That's right, baby girl. You know, what a beautiful picture of love. What a beautiful picture of trying to remind this little child about how much she is loved and she's important and that she is kind and you know god says don't you get it like this is how it feels to me over and over again when i read the bible don't you get it don't you understand you're in, you're important you are smart you are beautiful you are chosen you are mine you are loved i am yours don't you get it? Don't you understand? How can you not be convinced that I love you so, so much? And if I have said many, many times in the past that to me the Bible, from the first word to the last word, is like a love story. It is the story of God's love, his overwhelming, reckless love for us. 
for his people. Author Max Lucado puts it this way, in the grip of grace, he says, can anything make me stop loving you, God asks? You wonder how long my love will last. Find your answer on a splintered cross, on a craggy hill. That's me you see up there, your maker, your God, nail-stabbed and bleeding, covered in spit and sin-soaked. That's your sin I'm feeling. That's your death I'm dying. That's your resurrection I'm leaving. living. That is how much I love you. And if there was ever any doubt, if you've ever doubted God's love for you, the cross absolutely answers the question, do I matter to God? You know, God brought it, he brought it all. He left it all on the field, as we say, right? He left it all on the cross. He withheld nothing. He gave us his best, sacrificed his one and only. He put it all on the line. He gave himself away for us. You know, God pulls us out of the world. He adopts us as his very own, and he takes us home. And not just an earthly home, but a heavenly home. We have a home in heaven. Sisters, listen. What if there was a place so safe that the worst of me, that the worst of you could be known, and that we would discover that we would be loved more in the telling of it. We would be loved more in the telling of our worst not less. This is what God's church family is meant to look like. What our church should be. A place where we are safe, where the worst of me is known, and I'm still loved. Not only, but I am loved more. More. One of my favorite passages, actually I think it is my actually favorite, 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 all-time, global, all-time favorite passage. <laughs> Isaiah 43. But now, God's message the God who made you in the first place, Jacob. The one who got you started, Israel. Don't be afraid. I redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt and rich Cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That is how much I love you. I would sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. Sister, this is the heart of our God. This is the heart of our God. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. Fights till I am found, leaves the 99. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of our God. I've asked Marina DeAnda to come out here. We're going to do a little interview. And we're going to talk to Marina about what it is that, hi, 
while Hello. we sit down. Ooh, I'm on. Thank you. So, Marina. Yes. Wait, by the way. Yes. This has been incredible so far. It's been amazing. God is good. Yes, God is good. So those of you that don't know, oh, thank you for changing this slide for me. Those of you that don't know, Marina Dana, she's our women's ministry leader of Greater Long Beach Church. Thanks for the pick. And um, she also helps oversee the GLB, or the downtown yes. church in Long Beach yes. as well. Yes. So Marina, yes. how did God recklessly love you into his family? Mm. Good question. Um, I was 19 years old, and um, my uncle brought me out to church, so yay for reaching out to family members. Um, but um, at 19, I was um, going through two of the hardest times that I think I've ever been through, and um, it was seeing my parents uh, separate, and um, they ultimately got divorced. And then my grandfather was... Um, dying of cancer at the time. So it was just two really big moments in my life that um, were really hard. And I just remember feeling empty and um, feeling unloved and feeling um, not taken care of and just burdened by sadness. Um, sorry, I have notes here. Um, and just remember feeling um, an emptiness, but at the same time, a heaviness of, of grief. Um, and I remember studying the Bible and I, you know, went into it wanting to be happy, wanting to take away the pain and the suffering, um, that was so heavy. And what was incredible in studying the Bible is I really learned, um, about who God is, who he was and Jesus, like you've been talking about, and um, just a way that I never, that I never knew, and an understanding that I never even considered. Um, and when I learned about his sacrifice for Jesus, um, of Jesus for me, and the forgiveness of my sins, it was just like that you know, I mean, the angels did not descend from heaven, but it felt that way. It felt like, oh my gosh, this holy spiritual moment and studying the Bible and truly realizing um, God's love for me. Yeah. I was 19. So you went into the campus ministry then? I was in the campus ministry, yeah, but I wasn't going to school at, at the time. I was working full time, but I was in the campus, yeah. Yeah. So what is one big lesson that you have learned about God's reckless love? Well, um, I wanted to share this scripture that answers that question. And um, I love Psalm 121. And this is my favorite scripture that, for me, helps best define God's reckless love. And it says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth and what it I mean what it truly means to me is that there's nothing else in this world there's no one else that could love me and fulfill me the way that God can ever 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 ever, ever. yeah thank, thank you, you so much for sharing Yay. Thank you. so what we're gonna do right now is um, we're gonna take a moment
of self-reflection. So just for a moment, I want you to think about your miracle conversion story. About God's reckless love. What did he do to chase you down for you to be found? And I want you to take a moment to personally reflect on that. And then each of you share with the person either to your right or to your left. No more than three people because we're going to do this within a whole time of like four minutes, okay? So think about it. And then you're going to share with that person how God has recklessly loved you into his family, into his home. And then you're going to pray with one another and thanking God for his reckless love. And when I pray, that will indicate that our time is over and that we will move into our second segment. All right, thank you. Amazing when we think about what you have done to call us into your kingdom, to, to give us a life to the full, to cover our nakedness, to take away all of our shame, all of our guilt, and replace it, God, with love. Kindness, God. Literally, God, you are so, so good to us. Thank you. All right, so we're going to move into segment two. And, you know, I love this part of the song where he says, I, I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Over and over again, God gives himself away to us and for us. You know, one of my, another great passage in the Bible that reminds me so much of how God loves me and how God loves you is where Jesus tells of the prodigal son. And so we're going to read in Luke 15. I'm going to start in verse 11. You can open up your Bibles because if you want to, or you can just listen. I will have some other verses on the screen. Luke 15, 11, it says, he, said to, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. You know, so you have this son. He's at home. He's at home, and at home, he, all of his needs are met. He lives in this beautiful estate. He has wealth. They have servants. He lives with a gracious father. But for some reason, his son becomes discontent, maybe ungrateful, and he wants to do his own thing. I don't know if any of you can relate. Um, this still gets me into trouble. And so he leaves home. He leaves his home. You know, as I've shared, I studied the Bible and was baptized December 10th of 1990, and that's the day that I came home. That's the day that I came home. And like the son, some of us, you know, we were brought home, we were baptized, we were bought, bought you know, with the precious blood of Jesus. We were brought into this family of God, and sometime later, we left. Others of us never physically left home, but we have left home in our hearts many times. I have left home many times. I leave home. I can tell myself stories, get triggered by something, by old insecurities, 
stuff that Satan just throws at me, and I can leave home. I give in to fear or what I think or failures, and I can think I don't really matter to God. I don't make a difference in this family, in this life. I'm no different than anyone else. I mean, how many, there's like, you know, how many billions of people on this planet? Like, who am I? I'm nothing special. And is it really worth it anyway? You know, so like the prodigal, when we leave home, we immediately, I don't know about you, but it seems like we immediately try to find this contentment in the world, right? We try to find whatever we feel lacking in the world. For some of us, maybe it's, you know, the embrace of a lover or maybe the clutches of addiction. Or maybe it's just the soothing pursuit of ourself. Most often, I find it's just comfort. It's just comfort. Because this disciple thing is not for wimps. I mean, this disciple thing, it, it is no joke. It is, I mean, it is the real deal. It is fighting against my sinful character every single day. Right? It is fighting against my innate feelings of hate. I have rights. I need to be heard. I need to, it doesn't go great with my husband when I step out of my role, right? So there are times I can leave home. I've never physically left home. I've never physically left this church family, but I have left home in my heart. And you know, this is what the son does. He leaves home in pursuit of you fill in the blank. I don't know. But let's continue here. It says, when he came to his senses, let me make sure I'm on the right. Oh, yeah. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went, with, went to his father. You know, the son here, he just wants to go home. He wants to be restored. He wants to be brought back into his father's household. You know, the son, when I look, about, look at this, the son's plan wasn't eloquent, right? It was very simple. It wasn't complicated. The plan was to simply go home and take responsibility for his actions. Walk home and ask his father to make him a slave. Punish me. All I know, or all he knows, is that he is starving He's filthy, he's broke, he's knee-deep in pig slop, and he needs to get home. He needs his father. At times, we all need to be brought to our senses, don't we? But while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf to kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is still alive and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, in verse 20, the father sees the son. And I wonder how many days, I wonder how many days the father 
went outside and looked for his son. I picture it like God walks out on the porch every single day and looks and peers. You know how have you ever tried to look really hard when it's really dark? It doesn't help, but, but you think it does? You're like, like you're trying with all you can. And I bet every day, every day the father stepped out on that porch and looked again and again, longing for his son to return home. And then the next day on the porch, once again, as he stares out into the distance, says, wait a minute, I see a shadow. Could it be? Is that my son? Is that my boy coming home? Could it be? And this is the heart of our God. And it reminds me of Jesus. When he looked out over the holy city, and you can feel it in his words when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her. It's with this spirit, it's with this heart, this reckless love that the father welcomes his son home. The father, God, just wants him home. There's no penance to pay. There's no punishment. There's nothing to prove. In fact, the son's plan is to try to offer payment and punishment, but the father refuses. The father refuses. He's just happy his boy is home. In Romans 5, verse 6, in the Message Bible, it says this. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He did it and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for a sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person we're dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God, our God, put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. No payment, no punishment wanted or needed. In fact, the father only desires to celebrate the son's return. This going home brought the son back from pain and guilt and hopelessness, helplessness, no joy, no vision, brought him back from being emotionally physically, spiritually, and literally bankrupt. You know, every time we choose to repent, sisters, every time we choose to go back home, in our hearts or physically, our Father is there waiting to celebrate us. Joy restored. Peace replaces fear and anxiety. All of a sudden, we have clarity. We are overwhelmed by his love. We have trust. All of it is restored through just returning home. I don't know where you're at tonight, but have you been trying to pay penance? What do you feel guilty about? Jesus died on the cross so we wouldn't ever have to feel guilty. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be secure in the love and the grace and the mercy of our God, his overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. Just like the sun, it starts with one step, 
One step out of the mud, then another, then one step at a time, and eventually you're on dry ground. Eventually you can see home again. And so, sister, regardless of where you're at tonight, whatever distant country you find yourself in tonight, just take one step. Just one step, and tomorrow take one more step. And then just keep on walking. We've come to a time where we're going to interview two of our sisters, Jimena Polito, who's a women's ministry leader. Uh, come on out. You guys come on out, Jimena. And um, she's a ministry leader in Mis Ministerio Latino Americano. And Gina Stickley, who uh, serves in the South Bay staff um, and is very, very sacrificial because she is self-supporting and she has to put up with me. That's right. It's true. That's, that's right. It's true. That's the truth. So when you first, uh, so I'm going to ask you both a question. Here's how we do so we don't talk over each other. So we're, I'm going to ask each one question, and then you answer, and then you answer. Okay. Okay? All right. So it's very informal. We're family, right? All right. So when you first became a Christian, a disciple, did you feel like this was home? Well, I was invited uh, when I was going to college, and... Um, I grew up in a broken home, dysfunctional home, so I was looking for a church. I was looking for God, and I remember praying before uh, school and saying, God, just bring someone to me that can teach me about God, but also can have fun, because at the time, I wanted to have fun, right? And so um, within that week, um, some girl at school just randomly invited me, and um, she invited me actually to a college a campus ministry party they had, and it was really fun. I felt like, wow, this is really fun. Christian people having fun. They're not drinking. They're not trying to, you know, sleep with you. It really attracted me, and so right away I started studying the Bible, and um, within a few weeks I got baptized, and I felt right away uh, the, the, the women that were studying with me, I felt their commitment. I felt their realness. I felt their love for me. Um, and I felt how much they wanted to help me have a relationship with God and get to know God in a personal level. So that really attracted me. That really um, made me feel God's love is through them. You felt at home. I definitely felt at home. I've been now 20-some years, so, yeah, that's my home. <laughs> I'm going nowhere now. Gina. Well, I was um, invited to... Uh, a thing. I didn't know it was church. Yeah. I would have never gone to church. Get That's the truth. I was not searching for God, but I was searching for hope and truth. And I was sick of myself. And at the end of myself, for sure, as a actor in New York City, and kind of a lot of my dreams were coming true. But I knew I, I kind of had this realization one night where I woke up and thought, man, I'm going to get everything I want, I thought in my pride. And I'm still going to feel this way. I'm just going to feel empty and no man is going to fill my whole, no, no person, no relationship, no role. What am I going to do? Like that was very, very disappointing, that realization. And so I prayed, but I didn't know I was praying. I just kind of said out loud, if there's truth, I need to know it because this is not good news. Um, and Sure enough, like within a couple of days, you know, a girl met me who actually wasn't a Christian yet. She was studying the Bible and she invited me to this performing arts thing. And I went and 
um, it was, I walked in, I'll never forget it. I walked in and I was like, what in the world is this? But not in a bad way, but of course I was not letting up because the second I walked in, I felt like I wanted to cry. I, I really did. I was like, these people, there's something not right here or very right. It's, uh, it was just, so, I could not believe, first of all, in my industry, people don't act like that. They don't act like you. They don't love each other. They pretend they do, and they look like they might, but you kind of know they don't. And, and they're waiting to stab you in the back. Um, so there were these actors, singers, whatever, around, and they were so loving and so beautiful, and their eyes were glowing with this Holy Spirit. And I, didn't, you know, I just didn't know what it was. And then the singing started, and I was like, oh. It was so, I was told Amy the other day, I tried to pretend like I knew the songs. <laughs> I didn't know anything. I was like, his love endures forever. I was like try, trying to fit in, you know, because I just was did not want to look like an outsider. But um, basically at the end of that, I asked the girl next to me. Yo. That was before we had words on the screens, I guess. That was before. <laughs> we had songbooks. Okay, sorry. So sh I asked her, I don't know how you all got the way you are, but... If you will show me, I will listen to you. And that's l pretty much what I said. I mean, it was 20-something years ago, so I probably said it a little differently. And she, of course, was like licking her chops, you know, like, oh, this girl's so open. And, um, and I was. I didn't even know I was. And then we sat down to study the Bible with nine girls, okay? It was crazy. They were all, they were like, yes, an open one. So we're, it still takes nine people. It does. It takes all of us to help someone find the Lord. So I was, I just sat there and I remember it was the first study we did was about the cross and they said, let's pray. I dropped my head and tears. I just could not, I cried for like 10 minutes. I couldn't stop. They were like, they just let me cry too. They didn't like, Oh, are you okay? They're like, mm -hmm, that's right, girl. You need to cry it out. <laughs> I, it was hilarious. Looking back, it's really funny. And I just cried and cried. And I was like, there, and they finally said, what are you crying about? And I was like, well, I just think my life's going to change. And they're like, you bet it is. <laughs> and I studied for about 10 weeks. Um, even in that time, uh, I, and I did feel like it was home. I was like, home. Finally, and my soul was like quenched, you know, and it, uh, studied for about 10 weeks and got baptized and became a disciple. And that is just the beginning. <laughs> it got crazy after that. All right. So we're going to be, a, <laughs> yeah, a different kind of crazy. A different kind. Uh, so we're going to be a little bit more succinct now, um, which was fine. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome, but just, no, I know I'm not caressing you. But I will afterwards if you want me to. Okay. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> no. um, what was it that started you thinking about and then ultimately led you to deciding to leaving home? Because both of them left the church for a while. Well, I think for me, um, I thought that God wasn't enough. And um, I wasn't being filled by God. So the world just started creeping in little by little. Um, I started um, going out with a guy that wasn't a Christian and, um, you know, told me all the sweet things that I wanted to hear, scratch where it itched, and um, thought that that was going to fulfill me, is the relationship with a guy. So um, I left uh, because of a guy, because I wanted to go back to being with someone. I felt alone and, 
And uh, God, at that moment, I felt like he wasn't fulfilling me. He wasn't enough. And um, that's what created me to, um, little by little, just not my heart being with God anymore and, and, and not wanting to go to church and pray. So I ended up, um, you know, going with this guy. And, of course, it didn't last. Um, and, you know, we broke up. But I stayed, uh, at, you know, away from the church, away from the Christians for about a year. Um, and I went back to my partying and drinking and going out with guys and clubbing. I went back to that life that I had left originally, but it ended up being still empty and lonely, and, and it even got worse in my heart. So um, it was just a gradual thing. It wasn't like one day I left. It was took probably about a good six months for my heart. Compromise. Little compromises, thinking I was, oh, you know, a friend invited me to a 4th of July party. I, you know, she was a good friend that I was going to college with, and, I was like, oh, okay, I, it's not going to make me struggle. I'm a Christian. I'm going to go. And that's where I met the guy and um, felt attracted to him. We started talking, and that's how it led to that. And um, and we didn't date right away. We were just friends. And it wasn't like right away I slept with them or anything. It took time. But it was just my heart thinking, oh, I can handle it, you know. And I, and um, so it was just little by little that my heart started wavering from God. For me, about six years into being a disciple, I met and married a brother, and we did it all, you know, the way God wants you to do it, and about uh, four years into that marriage of complete and total ungodliness that we both participated in in the marriage, which I won't go into because she'll, she'll get me backstage later, um, but because it's too much time, but the bottom line is the marriage was very, uh, was a mess, and the reason was is because I had a broken thing in my soul, and so did he. And we weren't really able to handle it, you know, deal with it because uh, we weren't going to God. So we, uh, he decided to uh, have extramarital affairs and lies about things. And I was like, I pretty much offered him up to this woman. Um, and uh, he left. And I stayed for about a year after that. But my heart, I really, this thing, there was basically one song Satan kept singing to me, which was, you did it, everything you were supposed to do. And you didn't ask for this pain in your soul that was caused by how I grew up with a very sick, emotionally sick mother who was very abusive to me. You didn't ask for that. And it ruined your marriage. It ruined your life. And, and now your marriage is over and it's your fault. And I was so mad at God. Like, I remember cursing at God, throwing dirt at God, like just out trying to pray, and I'd end up cursing, throwing dirt, screaming at him. And the church was annoying enough to me because people were actually quite loving to me and very helpful, but I was, like, not having it because I was so mad at God. And I was like, finally, I just, like you, a man came into my life who thought I was amazing and would never hurt me that way and absolutely told me everything that I needed to hear. And I, I was like, you know what? I'm done anyway. And I just could, I had no, my heart died. Oh, and it wasn't just because of the divorce. It was over time, right? All the sin in the marriage, all the unrepentance, unwillingness to deal with my wound. Um, and Finally, I did walk away, and I was gone for eight years. Um, I, I, I was gone for a long time, but now it feels like the blink of an eye, but it was 
a long time of really, I, I was not searching. I stopped reading my Bible. I couldn't read it without feeling like I was going to throw up. I, re I couldn't read it. I just couldn't. And, and then finally, um, oh, are we talking about when we came back yet? Not yet, right? Go ahead. Okay. You can do it. Then we'll have. <laughs> okay. So finally, um, I, I met and married a man. Let's <laughs> buy I met and married a man in that time who many of you know is wonderful, wonderful man, tolerates me like no one's business. He's awesome. Um, and we had a little boy. And um, during that time, I remember thinking, what in the world am I going to teach this kid? I know the truth, but I won't live it. And I, can I sleep at night knowing that I don't tell him? Like, how can I not tell my kid about Jesus? Like, because never in that time was I willing to say Jesus wasn't Lord. I'd say, yeah, I know you're Lord, but I can't. I can't. I just can't. I didn't think I could ever do it again. I could ever follow God again. And there was an element missing in my faith that God exposed to me over time. And that was that I, I did become a Christian. I did everything right. I followed the rules. I read my Bible. I repented of sin, but I did not understand how much God loved me. I did not. And so every time things went bad, I'm like, you don't love me. You don't care about me. See? And, you know, and, and it was like, well, I'm performing now, and everyone thinks I'm doing great. I'm up here singing and doing my thing. But my heart was like, but I know God's going to turn on me. And sure enough, when that marriage fell apart, I was convinced. Because I did not understand what happened on the cross. I believed it. I knew it was true, but my heart didn't get it. And when I finally, when it's, it, I got it, when I had my little boy and I was looking at him, it took a few years, and I, I started reading this book called The Naked Gospel, and I just, I just started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? I, don't, I know I don't know something. Something didn't work for me. <laughs> I missed a point. And I asked God, I'm like, you know what? I need to know what I missed. And I don't know why all these people think can love Jesus so much. I don't understand that. I want to know why. And I begged God, and I pleaded with him, and I dug in my Bible. And that's when I, I was like, ding, oh, my gosh, I totally missed this. That he, when he died for me, it wasn't just that God sacrificed him for me, because that actually kind of made me mad. I was like, what? I didn't ask him to do that. You know, I was mad about that. <laughs> but then I was just mad. I was just mad. So I had anger issues. What, what brought me back was the fact so that you, you asked me, Brian, the fact that when I figured out that because of what Jesus did, God saw me as perfect, holy, right, and good. And I knew who I was. So when I got that, I was like, oh my gosh, I completely missed that whole thing. Brian. I emailed Brian Craig because I knew him and church was near me here. Um, and Brian put, put me, hooked me up with Jack, which I didn't know. I didn't know Jackie was in the ministry because I never would have met with her <laughs> ever. And I didn't know that she didn't want to meet with anybody in the ministry. But so whatever. she came to my house and we talked for a little while. And I was like, I don't know if I want to come back to this church. I just, I just want to, I need help with, I don't even know if I want help, but I kind of need it. But we had this long talk and then I asked her, what do you do for a living? It, it, we kind of like, we liked clicked. each other. Yeah, we, we liked clicked. each other. Then I, I found out she was in the ministry, and I literally told her, oh, oh that's too bad. Now we can't be friends. <laughs> and she was like, why? And I'm like, because I don't trust you ministry folk. Y'all got said, motives and ain't right. And I said, that's okay. <laughs> There's plenty of other people that will help you get right. Yeah.
But um, it didn't matter because I came to church for about a year and I sat back there and I really didn't talk to anybody. I just prayed and I cried like a baby. People would come to me and be like, mm, mm, mm. nope, I don't need no disciple telling me how I got to be. All right. Amanda, what brought you back? Wow, it's a loaded question. What brought me back? Well, I think one, my mom became a Christian after I did, and so she prayed a lot. Later on, I found out she prayed every day for me to get restored. So I think that definitely helped her prayer. But uh, another friend that I was going to college with had also left. So she had contacted me, but my mom did all the orchestrating because she had her call me. So she was getting restored and then and, and called me. And at that time, God had just humbled me. God really taught me that all the things I was running after just came back empty. Uh, you know, men and, and, and um, friends that I thought were friends, and it was just coming back empty. And I still felt the way I felt before I became a Christian, but now with more sin and with more guilt. So, um, she, you know, it was really incre encouraging because when she came back, she said, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And I'm like, you know, and, or my mom would ask me, I'm like, I'm never going back to church. So a year passed, and uh, I went with her. And, um, and a lot of people that leave, they want to come back. They're just too prideful to admit it, you know, or, or they're just too scared. They feel they're going to be judged, or they're, they're going to feel that, oh, my God, what are people going to say to me? So I thought, man, when I come back, people are going to be like, I told you so, or, you know. Um, but I appreciate, you know, that God uh, put, again, he fought for me, like, like Jackie was saying, his reckless love, because he put more women in my life. Uh, to become my friends again and taught me again to love God and, um, and again to restore my relationship with God and to change my life. So I really appreciate how God put these women in my life to show me who God is, how much God loves me. And that's, it took about, you know, I got baptized within like, um, I think two weeks, and it took like three months to get restored because my heart was really in pain. I felt bad what I did to God. Um, I was in shame. And so I thought, man, I don't know if God is going to forgive me after being gone a year and doing worse things than I did when I, before I came to church. But little by little, the women taught me that God, just like the parable, they read me that parable and how much God was so happy that I was back and he was so excited for me. And so I fell in love with God again. And it took about three months to get restored. Okay, last question. We're a little over. What would you tell someone who has a friend? you tell someone who who has a friend or family member who has left home. You go first. Um, I think the thing I told uh, from the beginning is just pray for that person. I think my mom's prayers when I, I left, she saw the times that I would come home drunk or just dressed improperly unpro un or just provocatively, and she just prayed. And um, so I think just pray for them and continue keeping that contact with that person. And, um, and I think at times people don't want to hear about God at that moment because they're hurt. And they have um, hurt feelings even towards the church people have done to them. So at times they don't even need to know. But just being there, being their friend, letting them know that you love them no matter what. And you're praying behind the scenes and you're working things out behind the scenes to help that person get back to their love for God and feel God's love again. What would you tell someone who has a friend or family member who has left home? I think, um, I think the main thing is... Don't give up on them, and don't be afraid if you don't know what to say or do. Because I felt like there were a lot of people that didn't know what to do, and so they pulled away, and they got weird, and I got hurt. But there were many that didn't. That's, there were many disciples in my 
wedding to a non-Christian man. And um, the ones that didn't were the ones that I felt like kind of were the example of God's unconditional love because they tolerated a lot for me during that time, (laughs) a lot of worldliness, a lot of just uh, bitterness and anger. And and, uh, I just... Looking back on it now, those are the most special people to me that I'm lo- I would jump in front of a bullet for, you know. So I think just don't give up, and if you, if you uh, just pray like a crazy person, and just do let them know you don't have to say I'm not giving up until you return. You know that's weird, but but you can just just don't give up on your friendship, don't give up on them. You know, and just re- just believe that God is working because God worked on me those eight years. Just don't think that God has stopped working because he is working every second on that person. So my marriage, because uh, I did share about how I married uh, this amazing man who is amazing. <laughs> and, um, but I think it's important. I think it's important for me to share the consequence of that with you and what that means in my life now. Um, So I'm not unhappy with him. Um, I have probably the best case scenario. If you're going to marry a non-Christian man, I got a good one. But here's the thing. There is without a question, without a doubt, a sort of unspoken chasm between us and a lack of intimacy that I would never wish on a marriage and we fight for intimacy. Like, we really try to be close. And we, he comes to marriage retreats, and we call him, like, the adjunct Christian. You know, like, he's, I mean, he's such a good, yeah, a Christian, like, honorary Christian. But he is such a good man. And so being a good man or being happy in your marriage, your holy, that Holy Spirit in you will know it's not right. There's, and, and I don't struggle with guilt about it anymore because it is what it is, you know. Um, I believe with my whole heart this man's going to make it someday. Um, But what am I going to tell my kid when he's a teenager? If he doesn't want to become a Christian, he's got this awesome dad, you know, and he's got me going, hey, lay down your life for Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen there. I believe God's bigger than all that, but I just... I just really want to speak to the single women who struggle with this. First of all, I feel your pain. I know what that's like. And I know the hole you feel. And what I can tell you is that it, it's not worth it. And you will you'll feel the, the lack in your marriage. Um, I guess that's, is that good? Okay. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I really appreciate these sisters being open and vulnerable. So we are going to take two minutes. We're way over, but, you know, it's the Holy Spirit. What are you going to do? Um, So we're going to take two minutes, and I just want you to think to yourself and pray to God and and think about um, his great mercy and his great grace, and then I'll call us back in, and then we'll close things out time together thank you that we can reflect on and think about all the ways that you have loved us and all the ways that you continue to chase after us and how you long to be with us and how you long to have a deep meaningful relationship and how you long to be loved by us God thank you that you reveal yourself to us and that you're so vulnerable in and of yourself 
to just tell us over and over again how much you love us. Amen. So before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. So you give yourself away. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Lena's going to close us out with some thoughts. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.